0: Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, this week, we are in our final week of our This is a Test series when we put this together, the one person that I especially wanted you to hear from in this Generosity series is someone who's just modeled it. I've seen it for decades. I've seen him and his wife live this out. It's our former senior pastor, Dave Stone. So he's here with us to challenge us in generosity through the way we live, through the way we give. If you know Dave and if you know Beth, you know this is just who they are, they embrace generosity, not just with their finances, but in their home and with their home, with their time, with their energy and attention. Dave generously and faithfully served this church as a pastor for more than 30 years. He loves this church and we love him and we love Beth. So would you please welcome back Dave Stone.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. Well, it is an honor. Thank you so much. It is great to be with you. How kind of Kyle to invite me to close out this series. And, and thanks to you, I commend you for being here three straight weeks as we talk about money. That's, that's uh, major on your part, right? And our series has been entitled, This is a Test. So I thought it might be fitting for us to start this message off with a test. And for the sake of time, we're gonna probably just make it a, a pop quiz to see how well you listened to Carl's sermon on the test of affection, Kyle's sermon, uh, the test of gratitude. So uh, I'm gonna have you all holler out the answers at any campus, wherever you might be. i have got five questions. Question number one, according to the US patent office, what is the correct way to display toilet paper? Over the top or underneath? Got a picture to back it up. Picture showed over the top. Uh, well done if you got that right. Number two, what size shoe does your senior pastor wear? Wow. If somebody's visiting, they're like, man, they really know their pastor. <laughs> Very good. Now, those two were gimmies. Here's a tougher one, all right? In, in scripture, when does the, what does the number 10 often indicate? Test. Test, I heard it all the way from Indiana over there. Great. (laughs) Kyle taught us that that typically indicates a test. Question number four. What word did God call the man who stored up things for himself on earth but not in heaven? Fool. Fool. I'll accept fool or foolish. Either one if I'm grading your paper, all right? The last one is a fill in the blank. Jesus said, where your blank is, there your heart will be also your treasure. Jesus taught that whatever you treasure, your heart is going to follow. That's the test. It's a test of affection. It's a test of gratitude and obedience. Now, a good teacher tells you what will be on the test. And throughout Jesus' teaching, he taught about one third of his time on money or possessions. Because if you claim that Jesus is the Lord of your life, then then obedience becomes a natural test of, of that trust that you've made. This, this really matters. It's important how you approach money and, and possessions. It gives a glimpse of what's going on in your heart. And I, I loved when Kyle shared that story about giving those, those shoes to that homeless man because I, I could just see, I could see Kyle doing that. And that's the way we wanna live our lives is just when, when there's a need that arises, if, if we can meet that need, we follow that test and we answer that test through our generosity. Now, whenever you talk about money, you hear about spending, saving, giving, budgeting. First Timothy chapter six, verse 10, Paul says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now notice he doesn't say that money is a root of all kinds of evil. He says the love of money. So money is not bad. Money is not good. It's how you choose to use it. And there are two major habits that can help defeat a love for money. They are budgeting and giving. One controls money's power, the other disarms money's power, and yet both give glory to God by how we use, the glory, use our money for his glory and not for our own. In today's message, we, we want to focus on the habit of giving and of tithing and Let me just say the value of having a budget. We haven't talked a whole lot about budget the last couple of weeks, and I want you to understand, a budget is a way of telling your money where to go. That's what you're doing. And you can't master money if your heart is built on a foundation of materialism, greed, and discontentment. In in that case, it will master you. So how can we be obedient to what God asks of, of us when it comes to giving? I'm gonna give you three principles today that I I hope will be helpful to you. Here's, Here's where we begin. Number one, give to God the first, not the last. Make it a habit. Make it a routine. God deserves the first fruits. God deserves to be at the top of your list. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10 actually says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So as an expression of honoring the Lord, you're giving or returning back to him. The very first thing that you receive, that going to him, that's an expression that he's the priority. It's not something that you're legalistic about. Instead, it just becomes a symbolically significant expression that he comes first in your life. If you don't have a plan for your giving, or if you uh, don't participate in the automated giving, I I would encourage you to do those things, and here's why. I think if you're not planning with the discipline of that, then it's easy just to kinda flip the leftovers to, to the Lord. And if you get drawn into having a debt load that you can't manage, I wanna challenge you to discipline yourself to live within your means rather than trying to keep up with everyone else. Someone defined the letters debt, D-E-B-T, is don't even buy that. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Solomon said it in another one, Proverbs 22:7. 7. He said, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. And I know that for some of you, the biggest payment or the biggest check that, that you send out each month is a payment for debt. And if if you don't get that under control, I know it can be suffocating. And I speak to you from experience that I'm not proud of. Back in 2007 and 2008, when the real estate market turned, I had a couple of uh, rental properties and I found myself trying to dig out of unexpected and unwanted debt. Now I chose to still give God the first fruits. And I was intent that during that stretch, I was not going to diminish my percentage that I gave to the Lord. But I will tell you this, it affected my sleep. It uh, affected my joy. It affected my spontaneity to give. When I saw needs arise, it affected my stress level. And it caused me to want to hold back. And I learned that debt restricts you from giving like you would like to give. Now you do understand that every time you make a gift to Southeast, it it doesn't just go to Southeast and and what's going on right here and the needs of this church. You are making an investment in 53 different countries where we have missionaries who are serving. Uh, we're impacting actually with all those different ministries around 143 different countries. In the last 20 years, your gifts have helped 73 church plants. In fact, 33 of those church plants are led by Southeast members. You're making a difference on the campus of UK and, and U of L. Your gifts are ministering to widows and to orphans, to the homeless, to the victims of human trafficking, to the needy, to refugees, many of whom are hearing about Jesus for the very first time in their life. You're not just giving to a church, you're you're giving to hundreds of ministries. This is a storehouse. This church is a distribution center. It's not so much that we are giving to the church, but we are giving through the church. And this kind of giving allows it to be in the name of Jesus. And it, it displays the power of God and points people to the ultimate hope that we have. I, I have literally been around hundreds of churches and in, in the last four years, I have been able to help and serve in, in dozens of churches. I don't know of a church that gives away to missions and benevolence, to widows, to orphans, to different ministries I don't know of a church that gives away as high of a percentage as Southeast does. And I'm glad that my tithes and offerings go to Southeast. I'm glad to be a member of a church where Kyle and the elders have said, we wanna raise that percentage. And I know why they wanna raise it. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And we've been given a lot. And I'm thankful that Southeast vets and scrutinizes the financial accountability of ministries that they give to. And right now the church is giving 24% on every dollar. And and in January, that will go to 25%. So way to go Southeast. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. So scatter those seeds for Christ and watch them take root. Here's the second principle. Give out of joy, not obligation. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You'll hear me say that a couple of times today. And he spoke of, of this throughout the gospels. Paul spoke about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Paul says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now that word cheerfully in in the original language that the New Testament was written in is where we get the word hilarious. It's the word hilarious. In other words, that might seem foreign to some of you. The idea that giving can be fun. It, it, It might seem ridiculous to others on the surface, but I'm telling you, it will bring you so much joy. So when you give to a neighbor who's in need or someone in your Bible study who's going through a rough time, when you give to this church, give it with a smile on your face. Giving shouldn't be out of coercion or out of obligation or begrudgingly because it's something you hear a preacher say. You should want to do it. But a life of generosity is very countercultural to our, our country and to our culture. I don't know if you remember hearing about a commuter flight from Portland, Maine to Boston, Massachusetts back several years ago, the pilot Henry Dempsey heard an unusual noise near the rear of the plane and Dempsey turned the controls over to his co-pilot and he went back to check it out and see what the noise was. As he reached the tail section of the plane, the airplane hit an air pocket and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. He soon discovered that the original noise was caused because the rear door had been improperly latched prior to takeoff, and now the impact of his weight caused the door to open, and Dempsey was instantly sucked out of the tiny jet. The co-pilot saw the red light immediately, which appeared, and indicated that there was an open door, so he radioed the nearest airport, requesting permission for an emergency landing. He reported that the pilot had fallen out of the plane. He wanted a helicopter to search the area. And after the plane landed, the ground crew found Dempsey holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow, when he got sucked out, he had the wherewithal to somehow catch that ladder with a desperate grab. And he held on for 10 minutes at 200 miles per hour, descending from an altitude of 4,000 feet. And somehow as the plane landed, he was able to keep his head from hitting the runway, which was only 12 inches away. My favorite part of the news report was the last line. It said, it took airport personnel several minutes to pry Dempsey's fingers free from the ladder. Yeah, I I guess so, right? He was holding on for dear life. I have known some people who hold on to the things of this world with the same white knuckle intensity and they don't wanna let go And some of you, you have a death grip on some possession. And it's tough to be cheerful when you're more concerned with keeping rather than giving. You know, it's tough to empty the jar if you're holding on tightly to something. And I want us to get to the point where we just experience the joy of letting go. And you are here at Southeast because of many generous givers at this church made sacrifices, huge sacrifices 60 years ago, 50 years ago, so that we would be able to worship today. And here at Southeast, many of us are sitting and we are enjoying the shade from a tree that someone else planted. In the Old Testament, God is is speaking. And God says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now you know a tithe is a tenth Later in the New Testament, we're told to give as we've been prospered. Well, how have we been prospered compared to the Old Testament? Well, now we have Jesus. Now our sins can be forgiven. Now we have the promise of salvation. We have the Holy Spirit personally indwelling us. It's it's very different than the Old Testament. And and so we have to recognize and say, okay, what would God want us to do with, with what it is that he has entrusted to us? Years ago here at Southeast, we had a guy on staff named Mike Graham, And Mike served as our stewardship minister for a number of years. And during that time, he estimated that he met with over 5,000 people, most of whom were in dire straits. He would just, all day long, he would just meet with people, help them set up budgets and financial plans, help them dig out of credit card debt and financial debt. But Mike said the most telling takeaway that he found was that out of meeting with 5,000 people who, who were in these terrible situations, there were only four who came in who were currently tithing. Now this will sound kind of counterintuitive, but giving is important, not just as a priority when eliminating debt, but also as a means of eliminating debt. You are affirming to God that he comes first, that you trust that he can do more with your 90% than you could do with all 100%. And in spite of our debts, when we tithe, we are communicating our dependence on the Lord. And tithing, it, it, it seems tough because it means, oh, that means I've got to actually take control of my finances and, and curtail my wants that I have. You, you have to think of others more than yourself and that involves sacrifice. And from an early age, our sinful nature tells us to, to look out for ourselves, to make certain that we get the bigger helping. Let me illustrate. My uh, son and daughter-in-law a few days ago took their three-year-old son Rhodes to a Christmas tree farm to cut down a tree uh, for their living room. And they, they had their search, they found the tree and Kathleen was trying to explain it to little Rhodes and I want you to watch this brief video. Watch this. Are we getting a Christmas tree? Yeah. <gasps> Yay! Did yeah. we find it? Yeah. Yay!
0: But I need a little one.
1: A little one? What if we have a big one?
0: No, I need a little one from my bedroom.
1: I, I just want a widow tree from my bedroom, and then I'll be happy. That's it. That's all I need. Now, I'm not trying to pick on a three-year-old, especially my own grandchild, but... Did you notice he's looking out for his room? He's looking out for my bedroom. It's kind of like Kyle talking about last week, uh, uh, the man in the parable building my barns and my food and my bedroom. We're more concerned with what we have in our room than what others have in theirs. So be forewarned, if you are looking for joy through some possession, whether it's a big thing or a widow thing, it can be quite elusive. Because a widow tree we'll need widow ornaments on it. And you'll have to put widow whites on there as well. And who has a widow Christmas tree without some widow presents underneath, right? It just kind of snowballs. And if our joy is tied to possessions, then it will always be elusive. But when our joy is tied to our giving, it will always be fulfilling. And Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that word blessed, it means that you will have a joy that the world can't take away. Give to God the first, not the last. Give out of joy, not obligation, and give with faith, not fear. I want you to listen to the entire context in Malachi 3 when God commands his people to give back to him 10% of their income. Malachi 3, verses eight and 10, God's speaking. Will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Here's a summary. God says to those who are not tithing, you're stealing from me. Is there anything in your house that belongs to God? The storehouse was the Lord's house. The name itself implies that it's a place where distribution takes place. God goes on to say, test me in this and see if I won't bless you. Hey, this is the only time in all the Bible where God ever says, test me in this. He's daring you. You Remember when you had a kid or a grandkid that was going through that stage where everything you said, they would say, why, why? And it would wear you out after a while because you just heard it constantly. Why, why, why? And you say, well, now, if you know the answer, you don't really need to ask why, right? I wonder if God ever feels that way when we repeatedly ask, well, now, why do I need to give 10% of my income to you? Why do I need to tithe? And like a loving, patient parent, he's probably saying, why do you keep asking why? I've told you the answer, you know the answer. It's because I want you to depend on me I want the gospel to be advanced. I want you to have the joy and fulfillment that comes from giving generously. It's because I want to bless you. And God says, if you you don't believe me, just stop asking why and just try it. Put me to the test. Put me under the microscope on this. You see, it's not a tithing issue. It's a trusting issue. He says, test me, try me, trust me. It's a question of obedience. You might be sitting here thinking, well, Dave, yeah. You sure are passionate about this. You don't even work at the church anymore, you know? And I am passionate about it because I, I don't want you to miss out on the faith journey. I don't want you to miss out on the fun. And obedience goes hand in hand with trust. I feel like behind a lack of trust in God is fear. We are afraid that he won't be who he says that he is. And yet we know he will keep every one of his promises. And tithing and giving is an opportunity to put to death our fear and to raise to life our faith in the one who says that he cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. How much more does he care for you? God says, do you trust me? If you do, you'll be obedient. If if you as a parent know what's best for your child and your knowledge being so much greater than theirs, if you say, hey, just trust me, aren't you pleased when they just obey and they just trust? And God is the same with his children, except he is all knowing, he has all wisdom. And if you understand what it means to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you realize that Jesus wants a whole lot more than your money. You do get that, don't you? I mean, he wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants your talents. He wants all of those things. So don't get bent out of shape over the fact he wants your money. How do you think you as his child will respond? Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I'm here to tell you, God's love language is obedience. And when you put him first in your life, with your time, with your possessions, he promises he's up for the test. He might bless you in non-material ways. It might be with some deep abiding friendships that you desperately need. It might be with a fellowship like this or a Bible study group. It might be financially. It might be some other way. He might keep your car out of the shop. He might... Uh, reduce your expenses. He might protect your health. He might increase your pay. He might sustain your household appliances. I don't know how he's gonna do it. He is a creative God. The other day I was, I was somewhere and I, 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 I bought something and I kind of misunderstood uh, what the person said the cost was. And I was paying in cash and I gave him the money and I started to walk off. And he said, oh, you gave me more than I needed. And he gave me back the extra. What I'm saying is this. If you give God too much, He's honest, He's honorable, He'll return the extra to you. Some of the most joyful and fulfilling moments of my life were not when I received something, it was when I, I gave something. And most of those times revolved around some initiative here at Southeast, some special project or some special offering or the starting or launching of a new campus. So many leaders and members in the early days of this church. I don't think we can fathom the sacrifices that some of them made. They were monumental so that the gospel could reach more and more people, both here and around the world. And their stories, I just need to tell you, when I came to Southeast in 1989, the stories of the people before me, it, it just gripped my heart. And because those stories inspired me, it, it launched my wife and I on wanting to become more generous in our giving. I'd heard people share all these stories. I, I heard a story before I came of the elders when they were getting ready to move from one campus to another on Hikes Lane The elders went out and they they took out loans. And every elder took out a loan and they came into an elders' meeting so that they could all give a collective amount. And that was a seed money for the start of that that next building on Hikes Lane. And uh, so I'd heard that. And back in 1990s, early on, uh, we identified this property here at Blankenbaker we thought this is where God was leading us to, but the property was expensive. And so I went, to, they were gonna have an offering for the, for the land, just to purchase the land. And so I went to a bank in Hikes Point and I sat down with this loan officer. I said, I wanna borrow $5,000. I didn't have any money. So I wanna borrow $5,000. And they said, I, I don't know if they still do this, but they asked, they wanna know what, what it's for. And I'm not recommending that you take out a loan, so please don't misinterpret this. But she said, what's it for? I said, "Uh, it's for my church, taking up an offering for some land. She said, well, don't you give in other ways? I said, yeah, but she called another person over. Another person came over because they thought that I was under coercion or that I was being manipulated by what a preacher was saying. I said, I'm the preacher. (laughs) I don't know if I manipulated myself and you need to give more. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll do it. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, he's convincing. Wow. So every month for two years, I walked in there and I handed her a check. That was for the land. And then about the time that that was wrapping up on, on paying that, we had this big goal for our entire church to to build this campus at Blankenbaker, and, Baker. and uh, this is gonna be a three-year commitment. And so my wife and I, we would, for well, an entire month, we knelt beside our bed every single night. We were in our 30s. We'd pray and say, Lord, okay, you gotta show us what, what you want us to do. You gotta show us what you want us to pledge so that people can come to Christ. The staff and the elders and the deacons we all made our pledges two weeks before the church did. We came together for this big meeting and we all walked down. We put our envelopes sealed there and uh, on their forgiveness. We were leaving one of our elders, Billy Beecham said, I just pledge money that I don't yet have for people that I do not know because of a God that I love very much. And so we said during that time, Beth and I said, okay, Lord, you know we're not gonna be going out to eat a whole lot. And there's only so many places where kids eat free, right? And we hit every one of them and uh, we're not gonna take any vacations for three years. We're gonna stay in town. And one of our concerns was just clothes because I preached in suit and tie uh, every week back then. Thank the Lord that's over. Uh, And I only had two suits. And Beth said, they're gonna be really used to seeing those two suits because it was gonna alternate every other week. (laughs) And we were also concerned for clothes for our kids because our kids were still growing, our two daughters. And so those were concerns we had. We made our commitment. We hadn't told anybody. Everything was very private. We came home from making that commitment with the elders, deacons and staff, pull into our driveway. It's this huge box our front porch with a note from a friend of Beth's said, my sister-in-law was gonna be getting rid of some clothes that her girls had outgrown. And since I only have boys, she wondered if I knew anyone that could use them. Just a huge box filled with all these clothes that were our girls' sizes. They're much nicer clothes than we ever could have afforded, ever would have bought. We just thought, okay, God, you got this. The next week, my wife is walking in the children's department where she's serving. A man stops her, who we didn't know, says, hey, I need to get in touch with your husband. He needs to come over to my house. He said, I've put on some weight and I've got a little bit bigger. And he said, I've got 10 suits that I wanna give to him. So I went to his house and he said, hey, he said, I I think these will fit you in. I tried them on, they fit. He said, listen, he said, don't get me wrong. He said, "I'll, I'll pay for the dry cleaning. I'll pay for the alterations. I said, you better. Uh, no, I did not say that. I said, thank you. Gave me 10 suits. I went to another staff guy who had about the same build that, that I do, he, he too was a bodybuilder. And, uh, and, and he took several of them. I'm just telling you, don't miss out on the adventures. Because we saw God show up time and time again. He's just up there waiting for you to empty the jar, to catch the wind and say, I'm gonna be a part. After I preached Thursday night, I got a text from a couple who had been in Southeast for over 40 years. I just wanna read to you so you get some idea of, I mean, these stories are so representative of, of hundreds of families. And I share this confidentially with their permission anonymously. I'm not sure that we've ever shared this story with anyone, but back in 1983, we had been attending Southeast a few years and had a comfortable lifestyle with two toddlers. But when the church decided to move down the street and build a larger sanctuary, we were faced with the opportunity to join in the capital campaign, but we had absolutely no savings and nothing of much value except a boat. So we sold our ski boat. And we joyfully contributed the money to the capital campaign and feeling quite good about our decision, but still something was nagging at us to do more. But we couldn't figure out what what it was until after much prayer, the Lord led us to realize that we did have one more thing of financial value. And that was our house. So to make a long story short, we sold our house. We gave the proceeds to the church We lived in an apartment for two years. Those were two of the happiest years of our lives. Afterwards, we were not blessed in any dramatic material way. But I will tell you in looking back over the last 40 years, those toddlers grew up. They're actively serving the Lord. He has blessed us beyond measure. In addition to our regular tithes, we have lost track of the number of capital campaigns and special offerings that we have had the joy of participating in. And we look forward to many, many more. That's the key, the joy. You have the opportunity every paycheck to experience that joy through your tithes. You have the chance these next few weeks to empty the jar, to catch the wind, to plant trees that you'll never sit under, to pledge money that you don't have for people that you don't know because of a God that you love very much. And several times in a lifetime, God just takes you out on the limb of faith and you're just kind of dangling out there and you're just kind of like, okay. And he's saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And so many people in this church have been such an inspiration to me and my generosity because of the way that, that you are generous to others. And you've seen God intervene in the most random and unconventional ways. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse six, he says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. This test is over how you use what has been entrusted to you and whether you trust him more than you trust in money or things. Because when you come to the end of this life, you can't take it with you. You just can't. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. There's only one thing you can take with you to heaven. You know what it is? People. And that's why we give, so that someone can know Christ. Think of the stories you're gonna hear in heaven. Oh, you went to that church in Louisville? You gave, I, I found Christ in Uganda because of the ministry that you all had over there. You you can't take the stuff from your kingdom into his kingdom. And so we send it on ahead. We plant seeds so that people can know Christ. Generosity is a test of affection and gratitude, but it is ultimately a test of obedience and of trust. An open heart cannot maintain a closed fist. And the Bible says we love because he first loved us and we give because he first gave to us, what did he give us? Romans says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you might not have any hope financially. You might not have any hope vocationally right now today, but you can have hope spiritually and eternally because of the gift of Jesus Christ. And that's more important than any amount of money. For God so love the world, that he gave. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, our hope is in you. You You're the only one that is worthy of our praise and our hope and our trust. And Lord, I know there are people here who have, have, man, this sermon probably just seems so out of their comfort zone. And Lord, would you just would you just plant a seed of generosity in their heart to where they'll say, okay, I'll, I'll try it. I'll start thinking of others more than my own bedroom. I'll, I'll start thinking of others more than, than my own needs. And Father, may people be able to sense a generous spirit when it comes to our money, but more importantly than that, our sharing of our faith. Lord, we give so that people will, will know the gospel. May we share so that people know the gospel. May we make an eternal difference in the lives that we come in contact with because of the way that we approach money and possessions. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one-at-a-time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.